Well, I, I hope everybody is doing well, and um, I hope you've had enough TP to get you through this ordeal. Um, I'm sure you all have been out to various places, and you've been finding shelves uh, where food that you normally been able to find has been missing. Um, I read an article uh, this last week from a psychologist, and they asked him why he thought everyone was buying toilet paper so frantically and other paper products. And the response, in short, was the fear, the fear of the unknown. Um, this virus that we have is, is plaguing our world and is new, and most people don't know much about it outside of uh, social media and what the news presents to us, and so it's something beyond our control. And because we can't control it, we seek after things we can't control, like buying toilet paper. Uh, psychologists went on to say, as silly as it may sound, when people go out to search for a product that seems to be in short supply, and then they find that product, it gives them a sense of control and accomplishment and empowerment. Um, who knew toilet paper had such power, right? Uh, I mean, I, I've always called it the important papers, but it is a little ridiculous, a little crazy. Um, but we live in a world right now of uncertainty. And today's message fits perfect for the time that we find ourselves in. We're in our third week of the Resurrection series, and today's message is titled, Certainty Because of the Resurrection. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 once again. So if you want to make your way there, we'll start in verse 20. Uh, we spent the last several weeks building context to this letter that's written by the Apostle Paul, obviously given to him by God through the Holy Spirit. Um, and so we're not going to spend a whole lot of time building context. Uh, you can check back in the church's podcast over the last couple of weeks if you'd like a little more uh, about the letter. But in short, the church of Corinth was a church with a lot of issues. And so there's a lot of instructions to in the letter to the believers uh, at the church. And Paul is driving home the supremacy of Christ and God within the church and within the life of the believer by focusing on the resurrection in chapter 15. As mentioned last week and last couple weeks, when our view of the resurrection is off, our lives are going to be off. Uh, our views of the resurrected Christ impacts our view of God and His authority. And we can see this clearly in the world that we live right now. Uh, well, Paul is combating and by pointing out the eyewitness accounts, those who Jesus appeared to, the message of the good news of the resurrection to which he delivered to the people, and even plays along with some of the issues that the believers in the Corinthian church were struggling with to understand about the resurrection of believers because of the resurrected Christ. And so from the rhetorical that we looked at last week, Paul now drives home the certainty that we can have in life, no matter what we are facing, because Jesus Christ rose from the grave. And so verse 20, where we're going to start here in a moment, is a direct attack on the rhetorical which Paul has laid out in verses 12 through 19 of chapter 15. So let's read our passage, uh, beginning in verse 20, we're going to read through verse 28. The Lord says, But in fact Christ has been raised from the dead, and the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom of, to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. 
But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him that God may be all in all. A lot of subjection there. Um, but did you hear how Paul begins in verse 20? He says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. Paul is moving from the illusion of verses 12 through 19 of the rhetorical that he laid out and we looked at last week to the reality of Christ's resurrection and the certainty that we can have as believers because Christ rose from the grave. The in fact of verse 20 can be read, this is how things really are. Christ is raised. And the certainty of conviction that Paul had is a certainty of conviction that we need to have concerning the resurrection. Without the resurrection, we should all join in the mass chaos and the uncertainty that the world is in right now. But because of the resurrection, we know that we are secure in the hands of a loving Heavenly Father. The term first fruits there in verse 20 is Old Testament language. It comes from that riveting book in the Old Testament we know as Leviticus and begins, and begins focusing and pointing to the sacrifices that we can read there. Well, in Leviticus, there's an offering known as the grain offering. You can read it in chapter 2 of Leviticus. The offering, or the grain offering, was an offering of faith and an offering of thanks. It called for God's people to bring in a grain offering of first fruits to the Lord. The statement first fruits in 1 Corinthians was to remind the believers at Corinth of this offering, which Paul most likely taught them about when he was with them physically so they could understand the law and the holiness of God and the calling to faith on the life of the believer. Well, in Leviticus, the grain offering would be given as an act of faith to God that God was going to continue to provide something even greater than the original harvest in the future harvest. It was an act of thanking God for what he provided and trusting God that he was going to continue to provide. And so Paul is pointing to Jesus here in verse 20 as the first fruit. By Christ's death and resurrection, as one commentator writes, this isn't an isolated event, but it guarantees something even more stupendous. Theologically, it suggests that our resurrection is not wholly separate from Christ's resurrection. The earlier part, which is Christ's resurrection, serving as a promise and guarantee of that which is to come, which is our resurrection. And so our certainty that Christ rose from the grave, that he resurrected, gives us a certainty of the sacrifice. In Christ being the atoning sacrifice and first fruit, it has affected all of those who have placed their faith in him and him alone. Christ was sacrificed, he was resurrected so we might share in his blessings, in his righteousness, and be clothed with his perfection. Because Christ rose from the grave, we know his sacrifice was accepted by God as holy and pleasing in place of our sins. By Christ's resurrection and our faith in it, we can now be certain of our own transformation from sinner to saint. And that's a certainty that the Word of God lays out for us. Though we might be aware of others in Scripture who resurrected because of Christ, the difference is they ultimately died again. Whereas when Christ rose from the grave, he rose and then ascended to the right hand of the Father. He is still sitting with God, alive, interceding on our behalf. And so by the resurrection of Christ and our faith in it, we can be certain that we are living a life which knows no death in the sense that we will be separated from God. It's, out of the, it's not even an option anymore. Christ being the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep 
is the down payment of our secured salvation. And it's to understand when Paul would write in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21 through 22. It is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and, how, and has put, also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Our certainty in what Christ did at the cross and leaving the tomb guarantees us in a world which needs guarantees. The term fallen asleep at the end of verse 20 is a term that Paul frequently uses when he refers to believers who have died in this life. It implies that the believer's death is a peaceful death instead of one of judgment. Because Christ led the way by resurrecting, by our faith in Him, we receive the benefits of resurrecting into glory with Him. It means no matter what we face in this life, no matter what we may worry about, no matter what uncertainties may come our way, we have a reassurance in Christ alone, not in toilet paper, but in Christ alone. So therefore, we should live our lives in a certainty that our debt of sin has been paid in full before a holy Father who loves us and is for us. And so it goes on in verse 21. For as by a man came death, by a man has, has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Paul is pointing back to the origin of all the uncertainties that we have in this world. It isn't a virus. It isn't a disease. It's sin. Because of sin, we all die. And these verses point to Adam's decision to disobey God, which you can read in Genesis chapter 3. And though it points out to the devastation that sin has in our life, in death, it brought death, and that all will die in verse 22. It also points to the good news of the resurrection and our certainty of the reason for the resurrection. In Romans chapter 5, Paul outlines this transaction a little bit more in depth. In Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8, it says, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So we were born as sinners, and Romans 5 calls us enemies of God. We, that's the state that every human being is born into. But God, in His great love, desired to remove our sinful state through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So instead of death in Christ, we shall be made alive. The phrase stresses the future happening in the life of a believer. Our sin happened, which is why Christ died and rose again. But our salvation is presently working to the point of being fulfilled through the redeeming work of Christ and the Holy Spirit, which lives in us. It's our guarantee, our certainty. So sin is a lot like a virus that everyone's talking about right now. It impacts everyone because of the first man who was Adam. But the power of sin, get this, the power of sin does not overpower the power of the resurrection. Just... It, it, we, we, we blow things out of proportion and we belittle the resurrection when we allow that to happen. But we can be certain without Christ, all will be separated from God eternally just as much as we can be certain with Christ, we will never be separated from God eternally. And this is what the world needs to hear, the certainty that believers have because without it, 
All the world can do, all the people who do not know Christ, all they can do is live in fear and uncertainty. But we know in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. So whatever fear-mongering is happening in the world, we don't have to live in that fear, but in the certainty of Christ's death and His resurrection, and our souls are signed, sealed, and delivered from the eternal ramifications of sin and death. So the amazing thing about the gospel is, is God has been planning it before sin and death could even come into the world. Christ was there in the beginning. The Bible tells us that. And as God allows this story to play out, so our eternal glorification is being played out. We have a hope that brings us peace in a world which seems to be in chaos, disorder. And Christ's resurrection gives us a certainty that there is order. Look in verses 23 and 24. It says, But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, and then in his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. God did not create a world of chaos. He did not intend us to live in a world of chaos. We serve a God who has planned out everything even if we don't understand. Verse 23 can be a difficult verse to read because of the way people interpret it from the original language. One version says that Christ apostrophe the first fruits and then at those coming who belong to Christ. Here's the thing, if you look at your Bible in verse uh, in verse 23, when it says Christ the firstfruits, there should not be an apostrophe after Christ. The apostrophe implies that firstfruits are something different than Christ. But because of verse 20, we know that Christ is the firstfruit. In Christ, we have certainty that not only has God planned our salvation, but God has planned an order for our resting places with Him. In the end, every rule Every ruler, every authority, every power will be handed over to the supremacy of God who loves us and is for us. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 19 through 21, it says, And what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe, according to the work of His great might that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the age to come. But until order is complete, we must be aware of the certainty of the battle. Look in verses 25 and 26. For He must reign until He has put all His enemies under His feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. No doubt many, even non-believers, are now aware of the battle that is raging in this world. Ephesians reminds us in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present age, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. The battle is waging. We can be certain of the battle, but we can also be certain that this battle belongs to the Lord and He will put all His enemies under His feet. The language in verse 25 of 1 Corinthians there is taken from Psalm 8 and Psalm 110. It begins by declaring the Lord's majesty and His glory and speaks of mankind's role amongst God's creation. But even more so, it points to Christ's reign over all creation the seen and the unseen. 
In Psalm 8, verse 6, it says, You have given him dominion over the works of your hands, that's all of creation, and you've put all things under his feet. The language of putting something under the feet implies the certainty of Christ's victory in which now we live when we place our faith in Christ and Christ alone. In Psalm 110, we find a similar metaphor. It says, The Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Psalm 110 has a Davidic king in mind and holds the promise, no matter the name of the enemy, it will be under the authority of the one true king. So the situation we find ourselves in is a little scary, and and it does cause concern at times. It may cause us uneasiness. But we know that this battle is not something which took our God by surprise. Even the coronavirus is under the authority of God and the resurrected Christ. Even death... The finality of all life is under the authority of Christ because Christ rose from the grave. All rulers, all authorities, all power, and even death are completely obliterated under the rule, authority, power, and life of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And this is the victory that we stand in no matter what battle or uncertainty we have in life. Everything stands under the perfect submission to our Father who reigns and is in control. So because of this, we can join in with the psalmist in Psalm 46, where he declared, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, and though the mountains tremble at its swelling. The psalmist goes on, as he is living in this world of uncertainty, to focus on the certainty of the victor of the battle. The Lord of hosts is with us, he writes in verse 7. The God of Jacob is our fortress. So what should we do in the midst of uncertainty, in the midst of the battle? We should be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. It doesn't say be still in quarantine or be still in panic or be still in worry, but to be still and know God is God. And God is with us. Because of the resurrection of Christ, we can live in certainty of God's authority. Look in verse 27. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it's plain that he has accepted he who put all things in subjection under him. This verse causes some people uh, some fits because it can be easily misinterpreted that Christ is not equal with God. But that isn't what is being said here. El Morris points out that God the Father has given the Son unlimited sovereignty over all creation. And by going back to the previous verse and looking at Psalm 8 and Psalm 110, and then we arrive to this conclusion that the Holy Spirit gave Paul the understanding that what was lost in Adam is regained in Christ and fulfills God's intention for all of humanity. The resurrected Christ was Paul's certainty of God's authority over all creation and throughout all time, and it should be ours as well as believers and children of God. Christ has overcome our greatest foe. Christ has put our enemy, Satan, under his authority. And because because Christ has vanquished the result of sin and death, And once this comes to full completion, Christ will submit to the obedience to the Father and the perfection of authority within the Trinity, and it will be complete. And this is the hope that we wait for on this side of eternity. 
Verse 28 says, When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. This is the certainty of God's supremacy. In the church of Corinth, this is what the believers were struggling with, and this is what was raising so many issues. We have to understand, no matter what goes on in the world, no matter what we see in the news or in the social media, our God reigns supreme. It was the forgetfulness of God's supremacy which led to the disorder and chaos in the church at Corinth. And we get a clearer picture of this going on in the world we live right now. When God does not reign supreme in His creation, it only leads to chaos because there is no faith in a certainty which Christ gives us through His death and His resurrection. In the end, verse 28 points out that God will be glorified with no opposition. There won't be a bill that needs to be passed, an ordinance that needs to be passed for God's supremacy to be manifested, and it's going on right now, and it's going to go on throughout all eternity. When it is fully manifested, there's going to be no more pain, no more fear, no more, no more disease to fight for our attention and to fight for our worship. It will only be God's full majesty and glory which dwells inside of all of believers right now through the power of the Holy Spirit that God may be all in all. God's glory will not be dimmed, but will be fully recognized and reflected. And this is the calling that we have been given to live today. We know Christ. We know the story. We are certain of His sacrifice. We are certain of His reason for the sacrifice. We are certain of the order of events which are going to play out. Even though they might not go exactly the way we think they'll go, we are certain that God is in the order. We are certain of the continuing battle that we're going to have to go through almost we're going to have to go through every single day in the continuing battle that's going to go on in the world. We are certain of the one who has true authority over all things and who will reign supreme. Because of our faith in Christ, we are certain that we are going to be an eyewitness to all of this in the end. There's an old hymn out there which points and captures this truth. And I know some of you are thinking, what's a hymn? Uh, see, back in the day, churches used to have these things called pews, and we don't have time to do it in pews at the moment, but they're basically uh, uncomfortable benches that people sat on. Well, in the back of these pews, there were uh, little pockets, and books called hymnals were stuck in those pews. And within those hymnals were songs, which people called hymns. So, uh, you can go find one. I've got a couple in my office. Maybe you can come look at it when we get back together. Well, in those hymnals, there was a hymn, which some of us may be very familiar with, was written by a man named Daniel Whittle. And the, the hymn is called, I Know Whom I Have Believed. It, we read it, read it as believed, but it's pronounced believed in the song, just kind of go with the flow of the music. Well, the last couple of verses and chorus of him go like this. I know not what of good or ill may be reserved for me of weary ways or golden days before his face I see. I know not when my Lord may come at night or noonday fair, nor if I walk the veil with him or meet him in the air. But I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. There are a lot of things in life that we will not know. We don't know if in a few weeks 
our kids are going to return to school. And I'm sure there are some parents out there who are beginning to humble themselves and pray and fast that their kids are going to get to go back to school. We don't know if in a few weeks life will get back to what we had a sense of normalcy going on. But we can be certain because of the resurrection, no matter what happens in the next couple of weeks or months or years, because of the resurrection, we are held in the arms of a loving Heavenly Father. And no matter the uncertainty of this world, we are certain that nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Perhaps you're listening here this morning and you need that certainty in your life. You need that peace. Well, here are the certainties that we can know. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that the wages and cost of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so what is that gift which we can be certain about? For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. There's the gift, Jesus Christ. And that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. To believe in the gift and receive it and accept it is a certainty that God wants us to have. And he tells us how we can do that in his word. In Romans chapter 10 verse 9 it says, If we confess, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart, here it is, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Saved from your sin, saved from the consequences of your sin of being eternally separated from God, saved from uncertainty in this life because you know God is for you, not against you. Saved from death? Have you personally accepted this gift? Are you certain that you belong to God and therefore can live in certainty in this world that it is in the midst of uncertainty? If not, I'd like to lead you in a prayer. And this may seem kind of weird for you in this moment, but wherever you are watching, if you just want to pray these words, if, if you're ready for Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, I just want to lead you. Here we go. Father, I believe you sent your Son, Jesus Christ, to this earth to live a life I couldn't and to die in my place, but to rise again that I could be completely forgiven. Father, I believe that in my heart, and I confess Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior for the forgiveness of my sins, that I might be alive today and into eternity with you. If you prayed that prayer or something similar to it, I'm just going to ask that you reach out to me. Uh, my name is Mike Hurchin, H-U-R-T-G-E-N. And you can just send me a message. Um, you can leave a comment at the bottom of this, this video. Say, hey, uh, I prayed that prayer and I'd like to, to know more about that. I'd like to, to talk with you. I want you to know we don't have to be together physically. But if you prayed that prayer, the heavens erupted in, in, in worship because someone who is lost has now been found. If you pray that prayer, would you reach out? Would you make a comment? As for those of us who have placed our faith in Christ, let us live in the certainty of conviction that Christ has been raised from the dead and we shall all be made alive in Christ. Let's proclaim that to the world. Let's proclaim our certainty 
even in a time such as this, that we are known and loved by God. and He's got this. So we just have to trust in him and be still and know he is God. Let's close today with a time of prayer. And then I've got a few announcements for our church family. If you would uh, mind staying on. But Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for the work of your spirit and what it's doing in our life. I thank you, Lord, that we are not alone. You promise you'll never leave us or forsake us. You promise us when we are gathered with two or more in your name that you're here. And Father, I thank you for just for allowing us to be in your presence, allowing us to be in your word. Father, for continuing to build us up in the faith, to strengthen us, to train us, to correct us, to rebuke us. Father, you know the fears and worries that many of us have been battling this, this week. Father, give us a rest and a peace that only you can provide. I thank you for the good work you're going to do through your word that has been preached. And Lord, just take it and use it however you see fit. Thank you again for allowing us to be a part of it. And we pray this in your son's name. Amen.